Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 119. We'll always have Paris. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Here doing that thing we do time and time again. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Here doing that thing we do time and time again. What's that? Oh, that? That was the Mannheim effect. Eh, don't worry about it. It's this thing that happens. And did happen. And will happen. But we'll get to it. And are getting to it. And have gotten to it. Don't worry. It won't happen again. Nor has it happened again. Nor is it happening now. Everybody's confused. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it, as I say. Okay, and, all right. And we already have. <laughs> and it's happening now. Are we really gotten? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's both repetitive and redundant, John. But it's also something to look forward to. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Um, by the way, this is Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Did and we not the- say that already? Well, just in case those people who are turning in in the future yeah. or have tuned in in the past and would like to tune in again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. So, uh, like, yes, it's a thing. With the today's do. episode, today's episode will always have Paris uh, approaching uh, just you know so quickly to the end of season one of Next Gen. Just a couple more to go. And uh, you know what? If you would like to join us, if you would like to talk to us, or if you have talked to us. And we'll talk to us again in the future. Three ways that you can do that. Uh, First of all, on social media, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, Mission Log Pod is the handle you can use to catch us there. You can call us at 323-522-5641. And you can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And uh, remember, a couple of places we'd like for you to check out on the web, our own website, missionlogpodcast.com, where we have discovered documents and more information about our show. And then we have uh, two additional distributors, trekmovie.com and trekfm, that's trek.fm, who are so kind to carry our little show. So uh, please do check them out as well. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log, or we may have used your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Oh, man, this whole thing is like, it's so trippy. For example, and forgive me, it's Mm -hmm. not that I've not been paying attention. I know that is often the case, but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. have you done trivia yet, or are you going to do trivia? Oh, I'm doing trivia right now. Mind. Alone. Today's episode, Ken, was written by Deborah Dean Davis and Hannah Louise Shearer. It was originally titled Paris, hmm. and uh, Shearer was not too happy with the end result. I mean, you have to understand that they were in the middle of a writer's strike when this was getting ready for production. So whole scenes like uh, Data in the lab uh, were just incomplete <laughs> as they were going into production. And production actually stopped at one point while new pages were written. It's kind of a rarity on this show. I, I think, you know, there are a lot of things about this show that stand out. But uh, Michelle Phillips, uh, just for sure. Uh, of course, from the Mamas and the Papas fame, wife of John Phillips and mother of China Phillips. And, uh, you know, in her days with the Mamas and the Papas, she co-wrote California Dreamin'. I would say that that is their number one song, right? Um, I think so. I believe so, yeah. Uh, now, I also found it interesting that, of course, she is known 
specifically for her marriage to John Phillips and the forming of the Mamas and the Papas, but she was married to Dennis Hopper for eight days at one point. So, yes. <laughs> oh, Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting times there. But I read an interview with her where she said that um, John Phillips was working on this song, woke her up and said, hey, hey, you have to help me finish this song. That song was California Dreamin'. They shared the royalties 50-50 on that. And uh, to this day, she gets royalties for that song. It's very cool. And um, and she did not only continue on with that group, but uh, she actually had a, a bit of a, an acting career as well. So um, And she was a Star Trek fan. So kind of cool to have her in this show as an actor, but a fan as well. Now, the character that she plays, Janice, would have originally been called Laura. And uh, Picard would have actually met the young Laura on the holodeck, uh, essentially correcting history by replaying that scene from 20 years ago. Um, and it was also originally written that Picard would have... Um, engaged in personal congress with the older Laura. Uh, but this was objected to by people on the staff. And uh, we have a discovered document that points to exactly that. In fact, it's a memo from Bob Justman to Gene Roddenberry in which he covers a number of points with the show, but he very pointedly talks about how that would be a problem to allow Picard that little uh, tryst. I'm, I'm sorry, hang on a second. You're saying he was going to run for office? Uh, not quite, uh, unless you're using run for office as, uh, as another euphemism. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand what you mean then. No, you've mean, never I, heard that? I, I, th I, th th Congress? I thought they were going to do it at one point. That, well, that too. Oh. That, that too. Yes. Okay. I'm yeah. sorry. I just, wow. Um, I yeah. feel, boy, do I feel. <laughs> Well, there was quite a bit of discussion, Ken, about the morality of that. And in fact, I thought it was interesting that Bob Justman points out that uh, it, here we have a a moral character on a show to do with morality, and you can't let him do this immoral thing. Uh, so do check that out when we get that posted. And uh, Ken, another little interesting bit of trivia here. So um, you know that I love all things French. Mm -hmm. And uh, Café des Artistes actually holds a very special place in my heart. Now, not to be confused with Café des Arts in Paris. And they actually mention that in the research notes in uh, the Discovery documents that I'll post. Café des Artistes was actually a restaurant in New York. It was in the Hotel des Artistes right off of Central Park. And uh, I actually lived there for a brief time. And the Café des Artistes was this fabulous restaurant in the bottom of that building. And it just closed very recently as of the recording of this podcast. So I'm sorry to see that go. But that was an actual restaurant in New York, not in Paris. They wanted to make a distinction that this was not a café that is known in Paris. Um, there's also a hilarious note from the research department about Picard drinking Bordeaux. And um, I thought it was very funny. They say, make sure that no specific wine label is seen. But then they put a little side note. Uh, by the way, we all know that in the year 2073, Bordeaux is wiped out after the abolitionists get the bomb. Huh. Which I just thought was very interesting. <laughs> and then uh, at the end, they mentioned the Zanza Men's Dance Palace. And the research notes on that came back saying, there's no listing but it sounds like a neat place. 
And um, I'm sure that we'll mention it again, you know, but the, the line will always have Paris is a line from the movie Casablanca. And uh, I'm a big, big fan of Casablanca. And it, it's worth mentioning that it's not just the line and it's not just the reference to the Blue Parrot Bar, which was Senor Ferrari's bar in the movie. Um, that, of course, being the Sydney Green Street character. But the, the love triangle is patterned after that from Casablanca. In this instance, Dr. Mannheim is Victor Laszlo, Janice is Ilsa, and I guess that makes Picard Rick Blaine. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 119, We'll Always Have Paris. Wait, didn't we do that part already? Prologue. The last few weeks have been rough, haven't they? Time for some R&R, which, as we know for the crew, the Enterprise usually turns into something weird. In this case, it does. Picard is brushing up on his fencing skills when a moment at the end seems to play back before his very eyes. It's like deja vu, but really happening right in front of him. On the bridge, the captain is told of a message from Dr. Paul Mannheim, a name familiar to Picard... But 15 years ago, he took off from deep space while working on an experiment to do with nonlinear time. Looks like he might have found something. Act one. Dana Troy notices that Picard is a little uneasy at the mention of Paul Mannheim. She also notices that Picard doesn't really like to talk about his feelings, but he doesn't want to talk about that right now. With a little time to kill, Picard goes back to the holodeck for a simulation of a warm spring day in Paris 22 years ago. He loses himself and, well, uh, it's French. It's a kind of ennui brought on by a lost relationship. Once he's had enough, Picard goes back to the bridge where more of those time distortions have picked up. The message from Mannheim, all relayed multiple times, leads him to another remote area, the Vandor system, where Picard hears from a woman in need of medical help for her companion. The woman's voice is familiar. The two are beamed aboard directly to sickbay. When Picard arrives, he confirms that this beautiful woman is someone he knows, and she is very pleased to see him. Act 2. The woman is Janice, wife of Dr. Mannheim. While Paul Mannheim is being attended by Dr. Crusher, Janice explains to Picard that all the other scientists on their crew were killed in an accident at their second lab. Dr. Mannheim is experimenting with time, manipulating that dimension. And those experiments may be having effects in other areas now, even light years away. The lab is highly secure, dangerous even, and Dr. Mannheim is a bit obsessed with his work, according to Janice. Beverly is concerned with Dr. Mannheim. He's getting worse. His neurochemistry is just completely messed up, and she doesn't know why. When Picard, Riker, and Data leave to strategize, they find themselves, literally, when the turbo lift doors open, they find themselves from a moment before in the corridor, ready to step into the turbo lift. And you thought Doctor Who made no sense. The three try to plan a course of action to determine what role Mannheim's experiments are playing in the time distortions. Of the two labs, the one remaining is emanating a lot of energy. Picard calls for an away team to check it out. Even though the place is booby-trapped and dangerous, never mind though. Distortions are so heavy that the transporter can't seem to materialize Data, Riker, and Worf. Another minute of this, and they'll end up like Commander Sonak. 
Act 3. The transporter problem is resolved enough to get the three back on board the Enterprise, but it looks like the mission to the lab will have to wait. Dr. Mannheim is slightly more coherent now. In sickbay, he tells Picard he'll help, but he feels himself slipping from one time to another. Also, yeah, he knows who Picard is. Jimmy's told him enough. Data enters to try to talk complicated science with Mannheim. Mannheim's like, ugh, an android? But you seem okay, so I'll talk to you. Mannheim has tapped into an energy source on the planet where his lab was built. He's still not comprehending all the details, but Data assures him that the effect of his work has sent these ripples in time across the galaxy by thousands of light years. The situation is urgent, and Mannheim will cooperate with a shutdown plan, as well as instructions on how to bypass the security of the place. Before the mission, Janice visits Picard. As hinted all along, they had a thing a couple of decades ago, and Picard stood her up at the Café des Artistes in Paris. She was heartbroken. He was scared of what the future might mean if he followed his romantic heart rather than his career. It's a bittersweet reunion, but they're grown-ups now. Time to let the past be the past. Act 4. One person who may not be able to let the past be the past is Beverly Crusher. At least that's how Deanna sees it. She drops by for a visit with the doctor. Like Picard, Beverly is just not that into talking about her feelings right now. Maybe Deanna should come back and talk to them both. Like, maybe when they aren't in immediate danger and when their guests are gone. Picard orders Data to take on the away mission by himself. It only makes sense. Data is less affected by the time distortions. Data thinks he's dispensable. Picard says no. Quite the opposite. On beam down to the lab, Data encounters a whole bunch of booby traps, which would make you think they're breaking into Dr. Evil's lair and not some kindly old Federation scientist. No problem, though. Data uses his android reflexes to take out the beam-shooting welcome mat, Deep in the scientific lab, Data finds what he's after, a mirrored, distorted, powerful, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly thing. Act 5. Data determines that the time distortions from the lab are coming at regular intervals, the next one being in 90 seconds. He's got a way to fix it, though. He'll plug that hole where the energy source is located by dropping antimatter into it. Hey, look! There's some antimatter right over here! Data asks for a countdown, but as Geordi is reading off the numbers, he slows down. There seems to be echoes of him, and then Data finds echoes of himself, literally three of him, waiting to drop the antimatter. A moment of hesitation, and Data realizes which Data is Data, based on some data. That Data drops the antimatter, and what do you know? It worked. Three Datas are now one Data, and the time distortion is patched at least for now. In sickbay, the effect on the lab seems to have had an effect on Dr. Mannheim. He's coherent and in good health again. When reunited with his wife, Dr. Mannheim is excited at the prospect of going back to work. He feels so close to the breakthrough he was expecting, and Janice is all too pleased to go along with him. But before she goes, Captain Picard has requested Janice join him on the holodeck. Flashback to that cafe in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower we met earlier, the same one Picard was remembering from 22 years ago. In here, over a glass of champagne, Picard gets to right the wrong of standing her up so long ago and says a proper goodbye. With their guest gone, 
the Enterprise resumes course for shore leave on a planet where Picard knows this little bar. The end. Nicely done. Thank you. So I'm watching this episode, Mm -hmm. and it occurs to me, Mm -hmm. uh, the Enterprise needs a transporter chief. Hmm. Someone from, I I don't know, England, maybe? Mm -hmm. Wales? Iceland, perhaps? (laughs) Someplace... (laughs) You know, you know, it, it might be the time effect, but I think we've had that conversation before. Have we? I think I think that and and about the engineering chief. Yeah, but yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, they could use a transporter chief. Yeah, it'd yeah. be nice. It'd be nice yeah. if they did because you know every now and then it seems like yeah, you just put some guy there <laughs> right. or gal, and right. you know bad things can happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, if they had just like one person, one you know sort of, um, I don't know. I'm just thinking that's that's the position they should fill. I would like to see that happen. Yeah. That maybe, maybe, Somebody you maybe could rely someday. on. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't want to be the person who goes to the transporter room, and every time I go on a mission, it's a different person <laughs> there. Now, who are you? That would well, be although, a little uneasy. Yeah. In fairness, you know, keeping the ship together from one part of the galaxy to the other tends to be like, you know, who's up this week? Mm-hmm. No, it's right. Leland T. Leland, or whatever his <laughs> name is. <laughs> right. They need right. to settle on one guy. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, we usually don't point out the music uh, just because that could really be its own podcast. And there are big fans and and people who are just extremely knowledgeable specifically about the music of Star Trek. Um, But this one I thought at the beginning was particularly cool because it kind of had that 80s horror movie feel to it. Um, it. It was almost like, and I don't mean this as a slight, but it was sort of like low budget, synth. Almost like a, like an early John Carpenter thing, which I thought was kind of cool. Did that stand out to you at all, or is it just me? It's just you. Okay, cool. Well, well, I'm it, glad it, to be it, that guy. It's yeah. probably not just you, but it, I mean, it, if if it's just the two of us, yeah, just the two of us, then it's just you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very good. Sorry. Hey, um, more holodeck stuff here too. Um, I, I liked Picard's first creation of that room. Because he gets really, really specific with the holodeck. It's like it was warm, but not too warm, and the sun was like this, and you know, the room looked like this, and he's very specific. And apparently, the holodeck gets it right. Hey, well, um, except mm-hmm. it gets it right based on what he said, because later when they're talking, she's like, "Yeah, it was raining, right? And it rained for the rest right. of the week." And so I'm wondering, did he not remember, or was that because he was already gone? And he so he's been already he's, gone. He's yeah. picturing how it would have been. Yeah. It had it been perfect, yeah. but in, in actuality, yeah. uh, it was it was not it was not what he thought. And uh, and in this episode, we learned that the holodeck can be used to impress old girlfriends. You know, I'm surprised that she didn't know how he did it, just because she works in science and it, this is a thing that is around. Well, but it's relatively yeah. new. We're given yeah. to understand that it's relatively new when we get on the Enterprise. Plus, she's been out in the middle of nowhere for 15 years. True. I mean, she's like she's like old country out in the middle of nowhere, you know. Like he gives he gives coordinates to some place, and then they have to give coordinates to another place. Right. It's like when you ask somebody who lives way out of town how to get someplace, you know. Yeah. And they're like, "Well, go where Old Man Johnson's farm used to be." <laughs> right. Right. Oh and yeah. Then you right. See the rock, and then you take a <laughs> exactly. left. Yeah. Yeah. Not the big rock. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the not so big rock. Yeah. yeah. Here's what I was wondering, actually, is Cafe yeah. des Artistes um, just a place that guys send girls to stand them up? Uh, right. Because it, when he comes in. Right. Right. The, the holodeck is made one of the non-player characters, somebody who's in the same situation in which Picard left Shanice. Or by getting it so specific down to the day, even though he got the weather wrong, 
is is the holodeck able to access records for Cafe des Artistes on that day at that time? And be like, well, I don't know who this girl was, but there was a girl there who was kind of depressed because some guy left him. So we'll just put that in. <laughs> wow. You know what? That's actually really interesting because, uh, okay, the holodeck, as we've discussed before, is having to interpolate a lot of information. It, yes. Well, like you say a thing and then the holodeck is like, oh, okay, well, here's this historic record and here's this blueprint of the place. And, you know, I'm going to look in the old farmer's almanac to see what the weather was like, <laughs> you know, and um, and then it probably looked on somebody's Facebook page. Uh, from that date 22 <laughs> years ago and realizes that somebody checked in at the Cafe des Artistes. Wow, I'm so depressed. My boyfriend stood me up. OMG, JLP did not make it. Sad face. Right, right. Yeah, right. Which means that the waiter there either has the worst job in the world or the best job in the world if that happens over and over again. Because either he goes home depressed every night because all he sees is this constant stream of women getting stood up. Yep. Or he's like, hey, or he's uh, not going home alone every night. He's not going home alone every night at he's, all. He's running for Congress. Yes. <laughs> yes. Am I using that right, by the way? I'm no, sorry. no, you're not. Oh, okay. I, I, well, I, I'm surprised. You, I think yeah. that's how we ought to use it from now on. Yeah. yeah I know, it's I, a great term that I, I really hope. Yeah, for clarity's come. sake, I, I, I did know what you were talking about. Okay. Just want right. to make sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to pretend I didn't now. I'm not going to not pretend I didn't now either. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> right you don't there. know whether I knew or not, but let's. I don't know. Let's no. assume that I did. Well, we do know that Paris still looks good a couple hundred years in the future, oh. which is interesting because what? you know. Hold uh, on, what? we're not yeah. done yet. What? Oh, okay. I got a okay. question about the holodeck. So, oh, okay, go ahead. Yeah. If it's not actually accessing um, Janice's Facebook page from twenty yeah. something years ago, right? Does this again like speak to how much the holodeck is able to pick up? We had a little bit of a debate on how much of the holodeck. Um, or excuse me, how much of Minuet was the holodeck versus how much of Minuet was the binars. Oh, right. And what we yeah. decided fairly quickly was, well, it's mostly the binars. We, I think the phrase that we talked about was basically the binars were playing jazz with the mm -hmm. holodeck. They're watching mm -hmm. Riker, watching his reactions, and then, you know, sort of playing more to that to get the information, I mean, to get to, to, to run the situation the way they wanted to. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that the holodeck is like, oh, it, 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 for some reason, I think a, a, a heartbroken 20-something would resonate with this forty-year-old oh, wow. yeah. bald guy, so let's let's put one of those in, wow. <laughs> and also a waiter who will bring you something very special. Right, yeah. right, right. I, yeah, I, I don't because or I mean, it's also possible that this was just. I mean, now that you've told me the whole thing about or told us about the whole thing about the writer's strike, yeah, they had a scene written where Picard was going to meet Janice, the the twenty-something-year-old, you know, earlier Janice. Right. Right. And so once they decide they have to rewrite that, well, it's just, isn't it easier just to change your name and cut out some detail? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you have to think, I, I, I would expect that after the binars left, they were like, okay, let's get all the creepy stuff out of the holodeck where it reads your mind and, you know, and changes those characters to specifically fit your, your emotional state. You think they would get rid of that? Well, I don't know. That's I mean, what for you want the holodeck like, there for, I think. Yeah, but man, I well, you know we, we're going to keep coming back to this about the holodeck, but the the idea that it would be that intimate of and, and I have a note in here about how I thought that Deanna was being a bit too invasive with mm -hmm. uh, Picard and Beverly, yeah. and how it just seems like the holodeck uh, would if it would know that much, we're like oh Picard looks sad. I bet it's 
a woman problem. <laughs> so I'm going to create gonna this make now a woman to, problem. Make, to make him live that out. You well, know? I mean, that's what he went there for, though. Now, hang on it a second. Is. Is, is your is your is your um, is your Deanna uh, note in this segment or is it in the next segment? Because no, can... it's right here. Yeah, right. yeah. I, I figured, but just because I felt like as an empath, you know, I I get it. But to me, in this episode, it just really seemed like she was being nosy hmm. because what she's talking about really has nothing to do with the mission. She says, hey, your emotional state could affect what you're doing on this mission. But so far it hasn't. And it's really none of her business. And she's sort of imposing herself on these characters as opposed to Picard coming to her and saying, hey, I have a problem because I used to date this woman and maybe there's some latent feelings for her. Well, but we know from their conversation that Picard is never coming to her. I, right. I I disagree with you honestly about mm. Picard. I agree with you about Beverly. Mm-hmm. I agree with you about Doctor Crusher. Doctor Crusher's just there, and maybe it's yeah. because they're friends. I don't know, but Doctor Crusher's just there doing her job. And Deanna like comes in and says, "Hey, want to talk about it?" And and, <laughs> and Beverly's like, "Nope." And right. and Deanna's like, "Really?" Because it's I can I can feel it's bothering you. So she mm-hmm. basically forces her to talk about it. Uh, with Picard, it's different, though, because he is the captain of, of the starship. He is the captain of all of their destinies. Mm-hmm. And now he's, like, you know, running headlong into into something. And they've just had some time distortion, something or other. And they don't know from whence it's emanating, nor do they know how dangerous it is. But he hears a voice, and he takes all thousand whatever people just straight to it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and, and if she's sensing that kind of emotion off of him... Right. I think it might be important to go, we may need to talk about why you're doing everything you're doing. I don't, I don't, mm. feel, like it, I don't feel like it's overstepping your bounds at that point. Uh, I, I do, uh, unless it gets to a point where there is a problem. You know, if Picard had actually been in a situation where he had lashed out at a crew member or made some very irrational decision, mm-hmm. then I could see her pulling him aside and saying, wait, this doesn't sound like you. Mm. But I, what we see at first is, is he, he sort of gets jarred by the idea of this voice from his past. And that's OK. Like, he's entitled to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, I, well, I, I don't know. I, I just I know that I would feel a little creeped out by Deanna on a professional level, just kind of constantly being around saying, uh, hey, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> you know, I know how you're feeling about this. And uh, maybe we should talk about it. Like, no, seriously, not now. Well, let's, I mean, okay, really quickly. Not, I mean, not yeah. to defend this too much, but let's do a couple yeah, of yeah, things yeah. really fast. I mean, first of all, one assumes that Picard had some input into who's going to be on his crew, like what mm. they're going to be made of, right? Yeah. Remember, uh, Picard told Riker when he first got there, don't let me do anything stupid. Right. It's quite possible that he has an empath on the scene, not to just keep him in check, but to keep, or maybe this is a Starfleet thing. I don't know which, but I mean, we've got, a, we've got an empath sitting there as part of basically the command crew. Mm-hmm. She's in all the meetings. She's always on the bridge. She's the ship's counselor, and she's always on the bridge. I mean, she's obviously not for the people, you know, working below decks. Right. Like, eh, I, just, I just don't know that there's any upward mobility. Yeah, yeah, save it, pal, because the captain's got problems. I need to go take care of him. I mean, right, she's right. she's not like she's not social worker. I mean, she's consigliere, mm-hmm. practically. Um, so it seems like yeah, her doing that. I mean, and the other thing is he did he did back her off fairly quickly. Oh yeah, yeah So yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not like she's not being so intrusive. Like, no, 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 Mister, we're gonna have this out. I mean, you know, he she's like, I, it seems like there's a problem. He's like, I got it. And she's like, Nah, really, it seems like I got it. 
<laughs> I would still think that that would make him or anyone around Deanna knowing that and knowing that she has already picked up on it and knowing that she is sort of ready to talk about it, even when you're not, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe change your approach or change your light. You know, God forbid Picard is in the same room with Janice and then in walks Deanna and suddenly the whole thing shuts down as like, oh, oh, uh, yeah, Deanna, we're not discussing anything that is relevant to you. <laughs> so get out. <laughs> you know? Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I, fine. Well, <laughs> this is not a sticking point. It's just, it's I, not, I assume it's that's not, why yeah, she's yeah. there. I assume, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, though, with Beverly, I mean, again, only because he's the captain. Only because sure, he's responsible sure, sure. for everyone. If it's Beverly, you know. Make sure she's not angry at the guy on the table that she's operating on. Otherwise, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I right. think your dealings there. And but anyway, it's right. it, it's a minor it's a minor thing. It is. It is. But it, it still weirded me out. Um, <laughs> I, I mentioned just a, a moment ago something about Paris, uh, just because earlier in the series, we've gotten the idea that people are like, oh. France? What? What is French? What is this language you speak of? Where, you know, what do you mean that people had different languages and national identities? And yeah, this is 20 years ago, 22 years ago to be specific. And sure enough, here's a guy uh, speaking a bit of French and we're in the, the capital city and there's the Eiffel Tower, same as it has been for 400 years at that point. Um so it, it it seems like it didn't add up to some of the indication that we had gotten before about French being this dead language, and nobody really got it other than Jean-Luc Picard. Mm. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's, that's true. That's, yeah. yeah, they're finding their footing. Yeah. I'm glad, um, I'm glad though, to see that they, they rebuilt the Eiffel Tower after the Cobra attack. That's really good. <laughs> right, yes. Very good. Um and, uh, man, uh, Dr. Mannheim, not a fan of androids. I didn't think he wasn't a fan. I just thought he was surprised. I, I found it to be a, a negative. Yeah, it was surprise tinged with negativity. All right. Yeah. Fine. Be that way. He, <laughs> he's, he, he'd read the uh, the reports about Dr. Corby and just he, he doesn't doesn't trust him. Or he may have been thinking about that idiot song. You know, oh, that's very true. It couldn't build a robot, so I had to go and and sneak off to the uh, other side of the galaxy under an assumed name, hiding in shame, you know, secretly building a robot, apparently, that turned out to be okay. It's actually weird, because I thought of Sung, not because of uh, Mannheim's response to him, but so Mannheim has these ideas about time being mutable, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, you're nuts. And so he very publicly goes, well, then I'm going to go set up in the corner of the galaxy and prove it to you. And right. I thought if Dr. Sung taught us anything, it's like if you propose an idea that you can't immediately prove, change your name, <laughs> affect a disguise, hop on a freighter, sneak off quietly someplace else. But they've apparently given him like a whole planetoid. And forgive me, but this is this is where my, my – okay, so I'm going to – totally geeky. I don't care. Okay. The planetoid is basically kind of like an asteroid, right? Yeah. Tiny. Yeah. yeah tiny. With an internal power source. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that honestly, that was the part that annoyed me most in this episode. Yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. There's a power source inside it that working in conjunction with a, with a pulsar uh, mm-hmm. creates enough energy that he's able to tear a hole in space time. I think the hole in space time was already there because there yeah. should not be a power source in the middle of that asteroid. 
No. I don't no, no, think. No. Just like uh, there shouldn't uh, be a worm living in the middle of an asteroid. Right, right. And I would say that if you detected that, you you would not only uh, not get anywhere near it, you probably shouldn't build on it and stand on it. Well, I don't know. If you're if you're trying to tear a hole in space and time, maybe it's like maybe that's exactly what he was looking for. (laughs) Maybe that's why we've never been able to do this before, because we couldn't find that one. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it sounds like building a wooden footbridge over a volcano, you know, (laughs) say here. Well, we want to study a volcano. So let's. Let's build this rickety old footbridge over this volcano we can stand directly over. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, Dr. Paul Mannheim, um, he, uh, he wanted a security system, not just a thing where like you type in a code and it disarms the thing that calls the cops. It's literally just kill intruders immediately. Yeah. Well, if you're not expecting them. Yeah. Dude, this is space and time we're talking about, okay? You don't want okay. just any idiot. If the Klingons found this... Yeah. You know, or or the Ferengi or the Romulans. Just don't ask questions, slice them in half. Anybody but the anybody but the Federation. But yeah, yeah it, it's kind of funny to me. Did he not actually say, by the way, I forgot to tell whoever you're going to send down about some more security stuff. And Picard's like, yeah, I'll tell them. <laughs> <laughs> and then Data gets down there and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I might have forgotten to mention. But it's OK, because if we, if we know anything from... Uh, what was the one with the terraformers? With the life? Uh, home, oh, soil. home soil. Sub home yeah. soil. If we yeah. know anything from home soil, uh, data, uh, lasers are no match for, for, mm. for Lieutenant Commander Data. Not at all. Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11. Online at Warp. Blast. It's happening again, isn't it? I'll tell you, there's something I like about this episode. There's something I like a lot about this episode. Actually, it is the get-to-know Jean-Luc Picard episode. Mm. He fences. He had a love life. He's got a sense of humor. Now, that was actually fun to see when he's talking to Janice. Janice? Yeah. And uh, she's like, you know, so why didn't you come? He said, because I was afraid. She's like, come on, lie to me. And it was very, <laughs> it was actually very cute. We haven't seen him be funny we yeah. saw sort of an attempt at comedy on The Naked Now, but that was not an attempt at comedy on the part of Patrick Stewart. That was an attempt at comedy on some fairly clumsy writing, I think, you know, so when he's acting drunk and you know, all that stuff. Right. It was, it was actually, it was very nice. I mean, it, it's really neat to see somebody who, who, who can act big, but who doesn't have to act big, play comedy in just like sort of a very small way. I mean, I, I, I was very comfortable in their uncomfortable moment, you know, with the whole, oh, you want me to lie to you? Well, I thought it was Wednesday and it was Tuesday. It was raining. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 was, it was a very nice little thing. Um, it, he's also not completely happy. Yeah. Which, which was yeah. sort of surprising to hear. And it reminded me of your conversation or our conversation. And um, I'm so bad with the names of shows and we all know this. What's the one where Wesley was uh, trying out for the Academy? Oh, sure. Uh, coming of age. In coming of age, when we find out that 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 Picard didn't make it into Starfleet the first time, when yeah. Wesley is learning, you know, everything about his about his heroes, about the people to whom he looks up, it was very surprising to me to see that Picard is not happy, and he will tell her immediately that everything is not perfect. I mean, yeah. she actually says to him, it, "It's just as you hoped," and he, there's a little bit of nervous laughter, and he says, "Not exactly. Nothing works just as you hope." Mm-hmm. It's interesting to have have yeah. Picard, who is a who is a, I don't want to say a flawed character, 
Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting to have Picard say, look, I'm a flawed character. I mean, not that there's anything yeah. wrong with me exactly, but everything's not perfect either, uh, which is not something you're used to seeing from your starship captains until yeah. you had your starship captains for like 30 years. And then they'll sit around and go and hate the Klingons and my son's dead. And it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you have to have them for a very long time. We're 23 episodes in, 22, 23 episodes into this guy's command. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's we're, we're like people, right? There's always something wrong with somebody. Yeah. And, I, and I'm somebody. Yeah, <laughs> so right. There might be a thing. Well, Picard is interesting because, um, and, and even in the note that I pointed out for the uh, discovered documents, you know, he, he's this paragon of moral virtue, mm-hmm. and we have we have essentially only seen him as identified by his job mm-hmm. so far. Um, so it, it is. I think it's not only good; I mean, it's necessary to see him as a character that has a life outside of just the guy who goes to the ready room and comes out of the bridge and then gives orders. And, you know, you, you have to get an idea of something deeper than that in order to want to see him for another season and another several seasons and movies and everything else. You, you've got to get to know this guy. I agree with you. I really liked that scene with uh, uh, her asking him to lie mm-hmm. in the conference room. It, it just seemed very real and it it caught him off guard enough to be able to see him kind of crack a smile and and relax a little bit in a very uncomfortable situation Mm -hmm. that was the scene we kept waiting for throughout the whole episode and i think it's a shame that we didn't actually get that a little earlier so we could have seen more tension and conflict about that relationship i was actually okay with it because it was it was sort of a surprising like um uh, nugget of believability or something. When mm. when Kirk and I was even thinking about like Carol Marcus. When when mm-hmm. Kirk, when we meet one of Kirk's old love interests, how do we know? Well, because you know, William Shatner gets sort of this like almost frightened look on his face, and then there's a little bit of discomfort, but then there's a little bit of conversation, mm-hmm. and it all is okay. I never got the sense that he was actually in love with Carol Marcus. I never got the sense that um, yeah. BB BB Bash BB Bash and yeah. and and uh, William Shatner had a thing. You, yeah. you actually could have convinced me that these two, and not really, not in real life, but I mean, th- th- there was a there was a playfulness about their talking about their relationship that I believed these two people had this history. Yeah, I thought it was just it really, it, and it was a combination of good acting and good writing and and good direction because they yeah. didn't they didn't do it was underwritten or it was under it was it was under everything, but it worked beautifully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought. There's something about that, um, again, in the notes where um, Bob Justman says, I believe it's to, to Gene Roddenberry, uh, and I think this came from the very first draft about that character, that she was described as young and highly skilled. And he said, well, look, we, we might have a problem with this because skill is usually something that comes with experience. Experience is something that comes with age. Mm-hmm. So, so what do we have here? Do we have an older actress who's made to look younger so right. we can believe that there's something going on there? Or do we have a younger actress who we sort of make up to look a little older so we can fit this description that's a little hard to reconcile? And um, I think this is the perfect reconciliation because you get rid of the young Janice character in in the draft, the young Laura character on the holodeck, and just have her be Janice in the present day. I think the casting on that is perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Michelle Phillips would have been in her 40s when she made this. And um, yeah, and it's just sort of the perfect thing. She's strikingly beautiful, 
but she also seems like somebody who could be a match for Picard. So yeah, yeah. well well played on all of that, and 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 the perfect little glimpse into what makes Picard Picard. Can we uh, can we talk really quickly about another character that we get to know something sort of ghastly about? Mm-hmm. What's up with Data being like? Yeah, I'm just a machine. Just throw me away. Yeah, Picard well, says, we're going to send you down uh, by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> to to this time portal, por- vortex portal thing. Excuse yeah. me. The weird, yeah. the wrinkle in time, the loop in time, the wrinkly loop in time. <laughs> uh, because I want to minimize risk. And Data's like, oh yeah, you're right. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pieces and parts. Toss mm-hmm. me aside. That makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that Picard said, no, 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 no. You're awesome. Here's the yeah. thing. Actually, this is not going to screw you up. It's going to screw anybody else up, and they're being screwed up. Could actually screw up. The galaxy. So we're just going to send you. And and then uh, Data's like, oh, okay, cool. Why was Data just like, oh, yeah, please. Because, you know, you're human. And mm-hmm. humans are way better than me. I am. Wad me up and throw me away. Sell me for scrap, why don't you? Because well, you could probably on. use that 78 cents to buy yourself something nice instead of um, me. But do you think it's really that? Or do you think, I mean, Data so far... Mm-hmm. doesn't have emotions he, right. he can look at the situation logically and say i'm the best suited for this and i'm the best suited for this alone and if i get killed well I, i'm not a living being that that is that's the problem that i have yeah you're okay. right he's not a living being but well except we've tried to establish back well we'll get to whether or not he's a living being later <laughs> right, i mean that's right. the whole thing but here's the thing yeah. he is more valuable than almost anybody on that ship i mean sure. just for just for just in terms of Starfleet, just in terms yeah. of, of of his ability. I mean, and the fact that he was like, "I'm a machine and dispensable." I mean, that's actually what he said. Picard mm-hmm. says, "I want to send you," and and Data says, "That makes sense." I am a machine and dispensable. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> how is he? I mean, how does he have? I mean, even if you just run it analytically, he should be like, "Oh no, no, you should send like like five ensigns." <laughs> because i've run projections on how good these five ensigns that i'm thinking of are and none of them are ever going to amount to me (laughs) none of them are going to bring as much to starfleet as i bring just by standing here i was just i was really surprised that that you know that he said that and you know kudos again to picard for saying you are so not disposable or you know indispensable is what he said or or indispensable indispensable i believe is the word or is the proper word or something like that so and that was just surprising, and and you know, you know me and robots. <laughs> right. so to hear one say, I just want to, I just want to take him by the hand and go, no, 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 little bucket of gears, you're so much better than that. Right. Don't don't let anybody send you into death for no reason. Yeah, and and, and by death, I mean you know disassemble. Yeah, that, that's all it is. Right? That's a number five joke, by the way, because number five was alive. I don't know if you know that. Anyway, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mentioned it before a little bit about uh, you know. Picard really being able to mess with his ex-girlfriend because of a holodeck. And I might I, I might be going back to this kind of concern that I had with Skin of Evil. You know, the idea that you could walk into a room and there's somebody who is dead and gone, but I could just sort of push a button and then there they are. And I can have a conversation with them and I can have an emotional experience with them, positive or negative, whatever it may be. I can kind of direct that. And I, I thought, you know, here's another example, certainly not as maybe not as deep, maybe not as serious, but it, it, here's the situation where the holodeck can screw up your ability to deal with things 
emotionally since you can program exactly the kind of experience you will have and exactly the kind of people you encounter and how they will react. You know, you mentioned it, that it was a rainy day in Paris, but in Picard's recreation of that, he's like, no, no, it's sunny and warm, Mm -hmm. you know? So he gets to change the past in that way to fit what he thinks it should be like, um, or just based on his poor memory of the event. And he could go back in there and had he wanted to, he could have found a young Ginny's and he could have replayed that incident, but in a different reality where he's there and he gets to say that goodbye. Is that satisfying? Is that then satisfying for the 40 something year old Picard to say, hmm, all right, I'll go relive this moment from my past, but I'll change the conditions of it where I actually show up and then we'll see what happens. Then what do you do? Do you live with regret because your holographic girlfriend would have changed the course of your life? It seems like a really weird situation to put yourself into. Well, I mean, you say, would he have been satisfied? No, he wasn't even satisfied uh, playing with the whole thing. But this is part of what we learned about Picard as well. I mean, when she's having that, you see it as intrusive moment mm-hmm. with Picard in the beginning. Uh, Deanna just you know tells Picard, you know, you have this thing where you just shove emotion down. You don't actually, you don't actually deal. You don't actually mm-hmm. confront it. You just, you just sort of, you know, well, wad it up in a little ball and, and put it in your gut. So would he have been satisfied with that? No. But, I mean, we all do that, right? I mean, there are writers who write to try to sort of work through stuff. I have a friend who, who swears. That's all Aaron Sorkin is doing. The, the five themes that Aaron Sorkin <laughs> goes through all the time is just because something happened to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just still trying to work it out. Right. So, I mean, maybe if he had a holodeck, we wouldn't have the West Wing. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like um, it, it's one thing to be able to contemplate that in your mind and then move on with your life. You know, hmm, mm-hmm. all right, here's this woman who came back who I haven't seen in 20 years and I get to have that conversation with her and I get to kind of unpack that and say, well, you know, yeah, if, if I had shown up, things would have been different and I didn't do it because I was afraid. I was afraid of this outcome. I was afraid of that outcome. It's a very different thing to actually put yourself in that situation, try to replay that moment of your life. And then, and then what do you gain from it? Because, well, you step out of the holodeck and you're back in your real life. You didn't actually change the past. You know, so is it just for the intellectual exercise of it? I, well, this, uh, uh, oh, wow. See, have people written books on the holodeck? <laughs> because, because, I mean, we may yeah. actually have to deal with this with virtual reality to an yeah. extent yeah, yeah. Um, sooner than we would ever have to deal with something like this with a holodeck. Mm-hmm. What is the holodeck supposed to be? I mean, is it just supposed to be a place where they go and play? Like that time that, you know, Wesley and all those kids went and had that really uncomfortable snow fight followed by the ski trip? <laughs> right. Or right. is it supposed to be, you know, a place where you go fall in love like Riker? Or, or is it supposed to be a place where you go and work out your demons? Like, um, or, or is it just supposed to be like a simple sparring program the way Tasha used it? Right. Tasha, right. God bless her. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm over it now. Well, I mean, now we know that Starfleet does things like bizarre psychological torture to see if you're made of the right metal to join their ranks. Yeah, but oh. they don't use a holodeck for that. For that, they hire guys. Uh, not not yet. <laughs> you know? Well, who's going to believe that? No, no, you, really? You've never seen this room before because it's always been here. Apparently, it's very easy to believe what's going on in the holodeck. Oh, all right, all right, all right. My my point is, I don't. I mean, I guess it sort of depends on what the holodeck is supposed to be. Like, is Jean Luc using it wrong? 
Mm. If he goes in to try to work out his demons, is it really, is it just a toy? Now remember, kids, the holodeck is just a toy. <laughs> Don't try to do anything real with it. It's, it's, I wonder if we'll ever deal with the holodeck again. Mm. I wonder if these are questions that will come up, like how you run real people in the holodeck and whether or not the holodeck could actually take over the ship and could the holodeck create something so smart that the holodeck couldn't defeat it. That would be interesting. Yeah, it might, it might be. I'm, I'm just, you know, off the top of my head thinking of a few story possibilities. Yeah, good. Uh, you should submit those. I think I already have, and I think <laughs> I will. All right. All right. Uh, I, I also was kind of entertained by the idea of the, the future slash past selves running around. So we do a very clever thing where we have the three characters enter the turbo lift. And, and by the way, some nice uh, handheld and wide angle lens camera work in this episode uh, every now and then. And then the, uh, the turbo lift doors open and there the three of them are from a moment before. And they get, actually get to interact with each other. You see the reactions on those in the corridor and those in the turbo lift. And then the turbo lift doors close again. You go to a commercial a moment later. Uh, are, are those other three still there? because what do you do about that you just sort of keep your distance until data can drop the antimatter it's so cute to me that like when the holodeck doors open again the three of them kind of peek in yeah right like like, are they still right (laughs) i don't know what it is about Riker, but every time and yes i do remember some episodes that are coming up every time Riker comes across another Riker. I'm always amazed that he just doesn't pull out a phaser and shoot the other Riker. <laughs> right. Maybe and, that would be the best. Yeah. I don't know why Riker specifically, because I, I feel like everybody else can sort of be cool with it. I feel like even Tasha. Oh, Tasha. Oh, Tasha. I feel like even Tasha would be like, you know, looking at it going, well, she's pretty formidable, though. Maybe I shouldn't pull a phaser on her because she might pull a phaser on me. That might be her security work, you know, like uh, coming to the fore. But every every time Riker sees another Riker, I'm just like. Is somewhere in his like crow magnon brain, I'm expecting him to just look for the biggest stick he can find and just beat the other one to death. Right. I don't know what right. it is about Riker that I think that, but I always think, yeah, no way. Two Rikers enter, one Riker leaves. <laughs> and Worf, of course. You know, that, that guy's ready to pull a weapon on anything. <laughs> so. No, that was the beginning of the season. He's cool now. Okay. He's security chief now. You see, before he was following the lead of his security chief. I can't... What was her name? Uh, Anyway. She's gone now. Who cares? (laughs) Before he was following the lead of his security chief. Now that he's security chief, you know, his more advanced Klingon brain is saying, maybe if we talk to them. That's crazy talk. And transmission. So sometimes we find a theme in the show, and we don't know if the theme is intended to be there or not, but it, it, if, you, if you start to examine it, it seems so prevalent that, that I personally can't help wondering if it was meant to be the theme of the show or the message of the show. I'm wondering if the message of we'll always have Paris um, isn't be in the moment. Like be here now, basically, is kind of what I'm thinking the, the message might be. And I want to I lay out for you why I think that. Okay. Uh, Jean-Luc Picard is troubled by his past. He's unable to deal with it in a way. He stuffs it down. Mm-hmm. And in stuffing it down, instead of dealing with it, he's always carrying this, this like, you know, whatever, whatever weight, whatever baggage from the past with him. And this is why I think uh, Troy has to step up in that first scene that made you uncomfortable mm-hmm. and say, dude, you've got to do something about all the stuff you're carrying around. 
This week it's this. Who knows what it's going to be next week? You might want to talk to somebody. And and you can even see that Picard doesn't like dealing with stuff because he's like, oh, you want to have a potentially embarrassing conversation? Let's do it right here where I can order you to be quiet. <laughs> Let's do it right here on the bridge in front of everybody so that, you know, when it, when I when I'm uncomfortable and I and I tell you to shut up, you have to because look at all these people. Right. All right. What plagues him is having not gone to meet uh, the woman of his dreams. Uh, yeah. Why didn't he do that? Because he was worried about the future. And 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 same kind of goes for Mannheim in a way. He is living literally in two times and is unable to function in either of those times because he's not present in the moment. He's not right there. Uh, this is talked about in the conversation between Beverly and Deanna. Beverly says, I can't compete with a ghost from his past. No one could. Deanna says she's not a ghost. She's here right now. Beverly says she may be in the here and now, but it's the ghost that he sees. It's, again, not seeing everything exactly as it is, but dealing, you know, like, you know, being caught up in the past. That's sort of a, that's sort of stymieing that situation. And and it's illustrated this this idea of, of being in the moment is illustrated just like visually in case you haven't picked up yet. Mm-hmm. That what we're saying is be in the now. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's illustrated when the three datas are in the temporal lab and there's one that's slightly future and there's one that's slightly past, and then there's one that's present in the present, and that's the one that can save everything. The one who's in the moment is the one who can handle things. He's the one who can fix things. The one who's not caught up on what happened, the one who's not caught up on what's going to happen, but the one who's here and now mm-hmm. is the one that can actually deal. Now, I'm not saying that I live my life this way. I don't. But when I watched the episode the first time, I was like, okay, well, it's an interesting character study of Picard, and that's all we get. And yeah. then I was like, is that really all we get, though? Because, I mean, there's so much there's so much playing with the, you know, with the past and the future, but it's not a time travel episode. So, oh, there's playing with the past and the future. OK, so, I mean, when I started to look at it as a possibility of treating it that way, that is a message that I feel like you can take away from this. Do I agree with the message? Eh, not necessarily. I mean, you have to know about your you have to those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. You have to know about your past. And it does, you know, it does behoove people to plan ahead. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not just about being in the moment, but not being caught up in either of those things. I mean, being 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 mindful of the now is also not a bad thing. So it seems to me that, that might be a message of this episode. Hmm. Well, you just said something that made me think a little more deeply, maybe, about Dr. Mannheim. Mm. I feel like, honestly, he's the most disposable character in this episode. No, no, no. Data is because he's a machine. No. <laughs> that's, well, that's what I heard as, as from a said. machine. And you know yeah. me and robots. I'll listen yeah. to him and I'll believe. So That, that a machine doesn't lie. Yeah. Because um, he can't. <laughs> uh, but, but, but Dr. Mannheim is... He's already uncomfortable slash intimidated uh, slash uneasy about Picard. He he says, you know, yeah, I've heard about you. I've heard enough. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and here he is, this scientist who has been hard at work for 15 years, never even met Picard. Picard just says he knew of him. Right. And and that was that. He's never even met Picard. And yet here's Dr. Mannheim feeling this bizarre, uneasy pressure in the present. And that made me wonder what's motivating this guy to be so concerned about manipulating time. You know, he's he's got a career. He's got work that excites him. He's got a fantastic wife. He seems to have everything. Yeah. 
And yes, there is the, uh, the, the, the pleasure from the pursuit of a pure science, just to understand the nature of time. Mm-hmm. Great. But after you saying that, it really made me wonder about his motivations. Like, what, what is this guy trying to do? What would he do if he had the ability to change certain aspects of time? Yeah. Like, at a certain point now, it makes me feel like it's very self-serving. For a guy who's never even met somebody that he's now very concerned about. Oh, I think those are two different things. Really? I, I don't. Uh, it the, seems the assumption that, that I have is that, I mean, again, he is, I mean, the trouble that's presented with him is the fact that he can't just deal with what is. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, yes, he's looking for this alternate, you know, whatever, trying to prove that time is, is mutable. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's been his career. That's, I mean, she actually says it's something he's always been interested in, which I assume means since before they met, which I assume means that he's not just pursuing this so that he can wipe, you know, the the, the line of Picard out of existence. Well, well no, and, and I don't think it would be something that specific and that petty. But, but I mean, there, there is something that just makes me think like, wow, he, he really would want to change the things that uh, that he doesn't like. <laughs> you know? Right, and it nearly destroys him. I mean, it seems to me yeah, that, yeah. that goes back to the whole, you know, either be here now or deal with time as it is, not not getting caught up on the past or the future or the mutability of it or whatever. But now Dr. Mannheim is ready to get back on that horse and ride. He, at the end of the day, he's yeah. like, yep, time to get back in the lab. That really bothered me. I mean, she was, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that she was abused, but, you know, really, baby, things are going to be different this time. Yeah. Really, baby, things are, I, I promise things will be different this time. Man, I just I wanted her to go. You know what? To hell with the both of you. <laughs> yeah, <no way. laughs> Drop right. me off someplace else. Are you passing by Rigel? Maybe <laughs> or Planet Edo or whatever? Because I'm just right. done. I'm done with the both of you. But no, yeah. it, just, it sort of bummed me out that he was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm obsessed again. But don't worry, because I'll remember you this time. Mm-hmm. That bothered me. Uh, yeah, it, it was a little uncomfortable i think the message maybe that i picked up is similar maybe not exactly the same i mean um when we did our show about too short a season we focused on other aspects of that show but then we got an email from a listener saying you know maybe one of the messages here is just that you can't go back and right the wrongs you can't relive the past or specifically your youth i mean look what happens to the admiral in too short a season. He, he absolutely destroys himself and he's spent 40 years plotting this revenge, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so one of the takeaways from that is no, you, you, what's done is done. You, you can't get out of that. And I'm thinking about the idea of you saying that, you know, you have to live in the moment, but here's Picard very sadly recreating this, holodeck simulation to to try to just get a glimpse of of what that was that happened and and again this huge what if hanging over his head Mm -hmm. what if he had done this other thing and again we go back to that scene in the uh in the conference room where he says look i i was scared of that but i was scared of this other thing too really either way there, there is fear motivating him in some way to say that like, I, I don't know what the best outcome is. Do I stay with you or do I go pursue this career? And I, I, either way, maybe there's not a perfect answer. Yeah, I mean, it is weird to say that. I mean, it, it's weird to try to find one particular moral here because it's not like mm-hmm. things have gone poorly for Picard. No. I mean, no. maybe the one drag for him is he wishes that he had it all. 
you know, like, oh, yeah, so I've got the starship and that's great, but I ain't got no special lady friend. Whereas, you know, yeah. if he had had the special lady friend, he might have always been looking up to the stars going, yeah, I really kind of want to be out there. I mean, you know, I wonder, like, like when she said, and this is not the script as it was written, but, you know, when he said, oh, everything doesn't work out exactly as you think. I mean, she, you know, if they had been sitting in a cafe, you know, she would have said, oh, so what is it you would have had to be different? You know, yeah. because all we get is it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm happy, but I'm not totally happy because who's totally happy? Yeah. So how? Uh, so did it work? Did the whole thing? Uh, I mean, does it hold up for you? Well, I, I, I kind of, I, I, the more I studied this episode, the more I wanted it to be better, and mm. and I feel like that's what the writers came away from this with as well. There are a lot of people who developed this show, uh, not the least of which was Hannah Louise Shearer, who felt like it didn't quite gel and there are a lot of people who said that they didn't feel the chemistry between Picard and Janice that that was written very differently and it kind of got so toned down by the end that they didn't feel the sparks Hmm. Um, and like I said we see so very little of Dr. Mannheim in any coherent state that we really don't get his take on it and that last scene with him uh, I feel the same way as you is just the wrong scene. Yeah. You know, oh, it'll be different. Oh, okay. I'm going with you because you're my husband and you say it'll be different. Okay. Well, it wasn't. No, I don't feel like it was. I mean, she does get something out of it. I mean, oh, it, of course. And this, of course. And this goes yeah, to the whole yeah, yeah, Picard yeah. thing, too, about, well, he's not happy. But, I mean, he is doing exactly what he wanted to do. It's just you don't get everything mm-hmm. you want. I right. mean, she's in love with, with Mannheim. She's also in love with Picard. Mm-hmm. But she's in love with Mannheim. And, you know, and and being part of what it is that he's doing actually does seem to be quite a bit. I didn't get the sense that she was just like, oh, oh no, no, no. I, 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 so, yeah, no, I, I didn't get the impression that it was under duress, but it, it, it is sort of I feel like you're meant to end this looking at Mannheim going like, wow, he, he nearly he already caused the death of another team of scientists, yes. you know, and he's doing this incredibly dangerous thing that it took data to figure out how to how to at least stop what he was doing. And now he's just going to go right back. And I feel like you're kind of supposed to look at Mannheim at the end and go, well, he's uh, at the very least obsessive. Yes. And uh, maybe at most a little crazy. Um, so I, I feel like the story was almost there. And I'm glad they didn't go the route of having Picard and Janice actually hook up. But I am also glad that we got the little hints of of a a genuine adult relationship out of them. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that we got the character pieces out of uh, Picard, especially, that we got. Now, the problem with the time distortion story, I felt like it started with a lot of promise. And then it just sort of devolved into techno babble. I mean, you literally could just sum up the last few pages with, and then data has to do the thing uh, to the other thing before the other thing happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and then so he does. Well, no, that, that honestly, that scene has bothered me for forever until I started thinking about it as uh, possibly a statement of uh, be in the moment. Because, I mean, it was, it was always sort of like, okay, so now there are three of them, and which one is it? And one of them goes, oh, it's, it's me. And the other two are like, well, of course it's you, because you say. <laughs> right, right. But, I mean, and, but Don't argue about it, yeah. It was watching it and having them say that, you know, the whole, it wasn't a ripple in time, but however they said it. So it's, a, you know, it, it's what just happened and what's about to happen and what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Then once it's the one in the middle, because he, he's the one that it's happening now, too. 
He's not the one that it just happened to, and he's not the one that it's going to happen to. He's the one that's right in the thick of it, and he's the one that can deal. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I get what you're saying about the time distortion thing, if you're looking at it as science fiction or if you're looking at it as science, but if you're looking at it as parable, <laughs> then I'm okay with it. I mean, yeah. and, and that's part yeah. of what we do on this show, is trying yeah. to figure out okay. if, there is a, if there is a higher, you know, not higher, but more, you know, something besides what's on the screen, whether it's intended or not. Sure. That makes a lot of people angry. I don't know why. <laughs> we say it's oh. what we do every week, and yet it makes a lot of people angry. So, yeah, right. I, I'm saying that this whole episode is a motivational poster. Be in the now, man. Yeah. That's really not much of a motivational poster now that I think about it, man. <laughs> to me, it holds up. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, there are definitely more action-oriented shows, and there, there, there are deeper episodes. But put through that, that prism or viewed through that lens, mm-hmm. um, the second or third time I watched it, with that idea already sort of gelling in my head, then I'm like, okay, well, that's all I can see now. And, and, and that, and, and for me that worked because it felt like it was, it it worked so well that it had to have been somebody's intention at some point. I, so. I want this episode to have not been hit by the writer's strike. Mm-hmm. And, and another part of me wants this episode to have come, you know, two or three seasons from now. So that we we have a little more, I don't know, a little more settled characters and maybe the freedom that comes with having been on for a little while that you can start to dig more deeply into the characters. Because um, I, I thought the Picard Janice story was a great start, but then it kind of got neutered somewhere along the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think it mostly holds up. Like, like to me, this episode is about the promise of the story that could have been written, um, and and reading between the lines uh, of you know what their relationship really was like. And I think it's interesting to contemplate the idea of wow, how does how does somebody with twenty fourth century technology deal with a broken heart from twenty years ago? That, that was still just an, a really interesting idea for me that he could go back and try to relive that moment. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it, it was good stuff to ponder. I wish that it had all been better. And like I said, if this had been written maybe a little time from now, it would have been. Or if they hadn't been hit by the, the strike kind of uh, halting them, it could have been even better. Well, I would imagine that uh, some people out there may have some ideas about, you know, how they would like to have seen this episode go as well. And the good news is um, we have already given out the contact information. We will give out the contact information again at some point. And on some plane, we're giving out the contact information right now. Whoa. Mind blown. Uh, and, I, you know, speaking of like the, the community, the, the way to reach us, the way to talk to other fans, you know, um, we say it almost every week and we need to repeat it. The Roddenberry.com. It's not just a name that we like because it's catchy. Um, Roddenberry is uh, uh, sort of the reason that Mission Log exists at all. And if you haven't checked out Roddenberry.com, please do, because. There's stuff there like news. Of course, there's a cool shop where you can buy all the Star Trek stuff that you didn't know you couldn't live without. Um, But there are ways to stay in touch with other fans through Roddenberry's Facebook and Twitter and uh, uh, Google+. Um, 
just all kinds of ways to be in touch and have your finger on the pulse of what's happening in Star Trek and Roddenberry News, uh, not the least of which would also be 1701news.com. Uh, so please do find all of that at roddenberry.com and uh, carry on from there. And of course, find us again next week when we will put conspiracy in the mission log. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 119, We'll Always Have Paris, and Transmission. Really this time. <laughs>